handful of months ago, I was just in the lobby during one of our worship gatherings, and a gal from our church grabbed me and said, hey, could, could I ask you a question? Uh, not an unusual thing to have happen, so we just kind of stepped into Guest Central, sat down, and this is what she asked me. She just kind of leaned forward and she said, are you for real? Anyway, kind of taken back a little bit, didn't know exactly what she meant, but as we started to unpack why it was that she was asking the question, in her experience of church, in her experience of life, she knew that just because someone stands up on a stage and talks about God doesn't mean that when they step off of this stage that their life matches that. She wanted to know, are you for real? Another way of her asking that question would be, is there hypocrisy in your life? Is there integrity in your life? Is your life integrated? Does the inside of your life match the outside? I did spend a little bit of time trying to assure her that if she ever got the sense that my life is perfect, that is not the case. Marriage is difficult for me, just like it is for so many people. Being a parent is very, very challenging for me a lot of the time. I feel very inadequate, don't know what I'm doing, feel very insecure about that. I don't always love my job the way that I would want to love my job. Connecting with God sometimes is a lot harder for me than I would want to admit. All of those things were true. But the question that she asked me, I thought was a fabulous one. Are you for real? Because when I left that day, I just thought, I'm so glad she asked that. And I need to ask that question of myself day in and day out, moment by moment. Am I for real? And friends, I believe you've got to ask that exact same question of yourself. Are you for real? Is there hypocrisy in your life? Is your life full of integrity? Is it integrated? Or is there a gap? Is there a gap between what you project to the world and what you know is true? Or what you know that God knows is true? Because here's what we're gonna see today, friends, as we go to the scriptures. We're gonna see that for Journey to be the kind of church that God wants us to be, that gap between what we try to project to the world and what is real, that gap has got to close. That is God's heart for us. And as we continue in this series that we're calling a movement of misfits, as Luke takes us through the book of Acts, today we're gonna look at this story that tells us that this matters to God, that this gap is closed, that we don't live a life of hypocrisy. It matters to God, and because it matters so much to God, friends, it's got to matter to us. A lot of the time as you read through the book of Acts, a lot of the things that we've been talking about, it's talking about this, this movement, this movement that is extending to the world, this first church, these first believers they're preaching the gospel. People are being healed. The message of Jesus is going out from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria. And ultimately, when we end up at the end of the book of Acts, we're gonna be at Rome. The movement is going forward. But there are several times in this book where Luke just actually steps back a little bit and he zooms in and he shows us the interior life of this community. What is happening on the inside with this group of people? And that's what we're gonna look at today. And here's what Luke does. He takes two pictures of this community that are vastly different. And in this story, he puts them right next to each other because he wants to drive the point home 
that hypocrisy matters to God. Because one of those pictures, it's incredibly positive and encouraging, but there's a second picture right next to it that, friends, is actually terrifying and sobering. Here's what I love about what Luke does here. For one, it just tells me that Luke was radically honest about the things that were happening in this community. It gives authenticity in my mind to the Bible. It would be easy for Luke to try to gloss over the foibles and the failures of this first community, but he doesn't do it. He paints the picture of them, warts and all. And Luke shows us that this first community, it wasn't just puppies and rainbows. Sometimes it was pit bulls and rain. And that's the story that we're gonna look at today. And I wanna just give you a little bit of a warning up front. This story, friends, it should leave us a little bit uneasy. It should leave us a little bit unsettled. This story needs to in some way jar us and shake us a little bit because that's what it did to those early believers that saw and experienced what happened here and heard about this. It shook them. And it raised questions in their mind, friends, and it needs to raise questions in our minds as well. I hope that when we leave here, that it leaves us think being reflective and wrestling a little bit. What is happening in my interior life as Luke shines on the interior life of this first group of believers? Because in these two scenes, Luke's gonna show us three things. That God is willing to highlight hypocrisy. God shines the light on it. He doesn't just let it go. God hates hypocrisy. But the hope of this story is that God heals hypocrisy. Here's how the story starts. Luke chapter four and verse 32, scene one. All the believers were united in heart and mind and they felt that, they, and they felt that what they owned was not their own so they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's great blessing was upon them all. There was no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. For instance, there was Joseph, one of the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Son of encouragement, what a great nickname. Seems like they were a lot nicer than the kids that went to my middle school. The nicknames that we got were not as nice as that. But it says that he, he was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. Here's this beautiful picture that Luke is painting of this first community. Their hearts are united they're united in their mission, what it is that God has called them to do, to get the message about Jesus, the message of the resurrection of Jesus and the hope of the good news of Jesus to the world. They're one in that. And there's love and care, the way that they are engaging with one another. They're caring for each other. The walls are down. You just imagine that there's just happy music being played as Luke writes this story. But then the lights dim. Things go dark, the music gets a little bit more ominous, and Luke shows a contrast. And he indicates the contrast by using that simple, simple small word, but. In light of what was happening, but. Scene two. 
But there was a certain man named Ananias who with his wife Sapphira sold some property. He brought part of the money to the apostles claiming it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not sell as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Everyone who heard about it was terrified. Then some young men got up, wrapped him in a sheet, and took him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, was this the price that you and your husband received for your land? Yes, she replied, that was the price. And Peter said, how could you two, how could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door and they will carry you out too. Instantly, she fell to the floor and died. When the young men came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Verse 11, great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. The first thing that Luke shows us here is that God highlights hypocrisy. He's not willing to just give a little wink and a nod and let it go. Sometimes I was looking at a way of lots of people, how they preach this, and so many of them talked about this as a generosity passage. Friends, this is not about generosity. Generosity was just the veneer, the context of what mattered to God. He cared about what was happening underneath the surface. He cared about hypocrisy. And there's this contrast between the life of Barnabas, who sold some property and gave it to the apostles. But then there was Ananias and Sapphira, who did on the outside, it looked like the exact same thing. Sold some property and brought the money to the apostles. Vastly different responses. Barnabas praised, given a new nickname. Ananias and Sapphira judged and ruthlessly condemned. What do you do? Is this about generosity? No, not a bit. In fact, Peter tries to make the case that generosity was irrelevant to what was happening here. We don't even know the relative amounts of how much they brought to the apostles. For all we know, maybe Barnabas gave a gift that was $10,000 and Ananias and Sapphira gave hundreds of thousands of dollars because the amount didn't matter. What mattered to God was the deceit. And Peter tried to help them understand, you were under no obligation to sell your land. Nobody had to do that. And when you sold the land, it was at your disposal, he told them. You could have given it or you could have not given it. So what is the problem? Peter makes it really clear. The problem, Ananias and Sapphira, is that you lied. There was a deception. There was a gap between what you were trying to project about who you were and what was true about who you really were. They wanted to have the reputation of Barnabas, 
but they didn't want to have the sacrifice and the compassion of Barnabas. Friends, here's what was happening. Ananias and Sapphira, they were wearing a mask. I think the sin of hypocrisy is like wearing a mask. In fact, the word hypocrite comes from a word that means actor. It means we put on a mask. This mask is creepy looking, isn't it? I had these at the house. They were out on the counter, and my wife and daughter kept covering them up because they just said, don't make us look at that. It's so creepy. But when we live with masks on, when we live with gaps in our life between what we're trying to project to the world and what is really true, friends, that is hypocrisy. And this is what makes this story so unsettling to me. I know that that same desire that was probably in the heart of Ananias and Sapphira that wanted to look a certain way that wanted to receive the praise of people, that same thing, it lives in me too. Absolutely, that lives in me. And friends, I believe this. I believe it probably lives in you too. What if we just stepped back for a minute, moved away from this story 2,000 years ago, took the spotlight off of Ananias and Sapphira, and actually just shined the spotlight into our own lives, into our own heart? Is there a gap in our life? If we think about what our reputation is, what other people think about us, is there a gap between that and what we know to be true? Or even more than that, what God knows to be true? If there was like something that measured our character, is what we project to the world and what God knows, are they the same? If they're not, it's a mask. It's hypocrisy. And here's what I want us to hear about this. There's a reason we called this series a movement of misfits. God, friends, throughout this whole story, throughout the Gospels, God can handle misfits. He can handle the fact that we're a hot mess on most days. But this story tells us that God doesn't handle masks. He can handle misfits, but he cannot handle masks because masks kill this movement. Masks kill this movement of God in the world. And this story shows us in graphic, and for me, just heart-shaking detail, how much God hates hypocrisy. Peter is, a, I just think, a great spokesperson in this story. Because who else besides Peter had a front row seat to watch the life of Jesus? Think about the life of Jesus throughout the Gospels. Who was it that Jesus had the harshest words for? Who was it that he was constantly coming toe-to-toe with and battling? It was religious leaders who were hypocrites. Who There were things that were going on inside of them that didn't match what they were trying to project to the world. He said, you're like whitewashed tombs. You look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, you're full of dead men's bones. Hypocrisy drove Jesus crazy. But Peter would be the best one to be able to tell us and to tell others, just be honest with him. If you look not only who Jesus went toe-to-toe with, but where did the world find the greatest compassion from Jesus? It was those who were honest about their desperate need for him. Those that were marginalized, prostitutes, tax collectors, people on the outside. 
They knew that they needed him and they were willing to be honest about what was happening in their lives, found the help and the hope of Jesus. Why is this sin? Why is hypocrisy so serious to God? I think you could argue, argue first that throughout the centuries, throughout the history of the church, one of the greatest hurts to the progress of the witness of the church is the hypocrisy of people inside the church. It's just become such a common refrain that people on the outside looking in to people inside the church will say there are so many hypocrites in the church. G.K. Chesterton was reported to have said, the greatest argument against the truth of Christianity is the lives of Christians. I'd give anything, anything for that not to be true. But that's why, friends, that's why a woman would stop me in the hallway and ask me, are you for real? Are you really for real? She's wondering, are there masks? Because masks kill this movement of God. But the reason that masks are so dangerous to the community of God. It's not just what people on the outside are saying about us on the inside. That's one piece of it. But friends, masks destroy what God wants to do in and through our relationships as well. They keep us from being who God wants us to be. When we, look, when we allow hypocrisy and deceit into our own lives, we don't get to experience that picture, that first picture that Luke painted of this loving, supernatural, spiritual community where the walls were just down with one another. There were no masks among them. Masks, friends, they kill. They kill community. I'm gonna pick on you, Jared. I'll teach you to sit up front. Authenticity, friends. Authenticity Letting the walls down in our lives. It's what allows us to have the kind of Christian community that Jesus wants for us. Now, I just want us to imagine for a second, Jared, that you and I are just total hypocrites. Total hypocrites. It's easy for you to imagine that about me, right? Don't hold that up to your face. It'll scare me. But let's just imagine that we're trying to project something to one another that isn't true. So you hold your mask out like, just like I am. Imagine us doing this. I'm trying to project something to you, Jared, that's not very real. And you're trying to do the same thing to me. This kind of love that God wants us to experience, we can't experience it. Jared, I can't love you if this is what I think that you are. I'm loving something actually that doesn't even exist. And Jared, he would also be loving something that doesn't exist. But you know what else is true? I wouldn't be able to be loved by Jared if this is what I'm trying to do. If I'm trying to project something to him, because in the back of my mind, you know what I'm thinking? He doesn't really love me. He loves this. He loves who he thinks I am. If he really, really knew what was happening underneath the surface in my life, he would be gone. We can't really be loved the way that God wants us to be loved when we're projecting something to the world that is false. Friend, it is authenticity. And it's only the gospel it is only the gospel of Jesus where God says to us, you matter to me. 
the God who knows us best. He knows everything about us. He declares through what he did to send his son to die in our place that you matter, you are valuable to me. And if the God who knows us best, loves us most, I can let everybody else know who I am. Because what I know deep inside of me is that God loves me. He cares about me. And it's this inauthenticity, this unwillingness to drop the walls in our life that actually keep us from experiencing the kind of community that God wants for us. This is how the Apostle Paul explained it in Ephesians chapter four. I love what he says here. Because he says if you, the idea is that if we understand and live this message of Jesus, it's gonna have transformational effects in the way we relate to one another. Ephesians chapter four, starting in verse 21. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, this is what Paul says to do. Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Deception, wanting to project something that's false. But he says, instead, let the spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. Let the spirit remind us what is true about us, what God says is true about us. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. And I love, he just says it. Stop telling lies. No more masks. Let the masks go, let the masks drop. Stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth. For we are all parts of the same body. Paul's trying to help us understand we are connected deeply to one another. We can't deceive one another. We've got to be honest with one another about who we are and what is it. And that, friends, is where community happens. I wanted to read part of a little email that came to me from, you saw the video earlier of Heidi, but she's a part of the journey community that I'm a part of. And she sent me an email after one of our meetings that I think captures the heart behind what God does when we're just honest with one another. It ties us together. Here's what she said. She said, every single person there last night had an amazing, heartfelt, honest story to tell. And just the telling of the story is a prayer. In Judaism, every action, every honest thing we do or say is a prayer to God. Being present for such honesty was a gift. As I keep saying, I don't speak Christian. This sort of open sharing isn't easy for me. I'm guarded. Most Jewish people are guarded about their innermost thoughts and feelings, and our prayers are private. Yet these strangers bear their souls. It's beautiful and touching and hard to witness. I am grateful to be included in this group. Friends, it's when we learn what it means to live our life with the roof off in our relationship with God, allowing him the light of his truth to shine into every area of our life that our lives are transformed. But it's also not just with the roof off, but us learning to live our life with the walls down with one another, not projecting falsehood, but being who God made us to be, being honest. Falsehood kills fellowship. Masks kill this movement of God. God can handle misfits. Oh, he's good with misfits, but he does not handle masks. But here's the hope of the story. The truth is, is that God can heal 
our hypocrisy. A couple of places of emphasis in this story of Ananias and Sapphira are a couple of places where God says, where Peter says, Luke says, Luke tells us that the people were terrified because they realized God is taking sin seriously. God is holy and there are consequences for sin. But what is it about that that made them terrified? Here's what I believe to be true. What would it be like if you saw that happen and you knew your own heart? If you knew your own propensity toward hypocrisy, you'd be thinking, if Ananias and Sapphira are not safe, I may not be safe either. I don't know what was happening in and around the hearts of Ananias and Sapphira, but I wonder, did they understand the heart of the gospel? Did they understand this great message of how much God, even though he knows everything about them, he deeply loved them. Because here's what's true. When that message goes to the deepest places of who we are, it doesn't make us want to hide. It actually brings freedom to our life. Freedom that we, we don't have to pretend anymore. We get free from our addictions to ourself and to the stuff of this world. We get free from wanting and needing, demanding the praise of people around us. We get free from this desire to want to lie and deceive. And it frees us up to just be absolutely honest and generous with people around us. An opportunity to be honest so that we can love others and that others can love us. The God who loves you the most knows everything about you. He can handle it. Here's how I want us to think about these gaps. This gap between what's on the outside and what's really happening on the inside. Here's what you've got to hear. Friends, every one of us has these gaps. Every one of us has a gap. And here's what's also true about this gap. However big you think it is, it's bigger than that. But here's what's also true. You can't close the gap on your own. You can't do it yourself. Friends, that's what the cross of Jesus Christ was about. Him helping us, coming in our place, dying in our place for our sin, to be able to close that gap for us. That's what he did. And friends, this gap was started all the way back in the garden, page one of the Bible. Adam and Eve, when they decided to go their own separate way, Fellowship with God was broken. What did they do? They put on masks. Well, actually, their masks were fig leaves, but it was the same idea. They felt guilt, they felt shame, and they wanted to hide from one another. They didn't want other people to see them. Other people, other person, I guess I should say. There's only two. But it wasn't just that. They wanted to hide from God. They hid from him. But here's what happened in that garden. What did God do? He went after them. He went after them. And he threw out a question. Where are you? It was this invitation from God. Come back to me. Come into the light. Don't hide any longer. Friends, that's the same invitation that God is continuing to give to us today. God is asking the question, where are you? Don't hide. Don't hide from people. Don't hide from me. Don't wear masks. I don't want you wearing masks. Friends, we need to learn 
how to help each other in this, to draw one another out so that we can learn to experience in our experience the power of the gospel. This is how James said it when he talked about how we need each other in this process of taking off the masks. He said this, verse 16 of chapter five, confess your sins to each other. And what? Pray for each other. So that, meaning this is gonna be the result, so that you will be healed. If we wanna bring healing into our life, James is saying it's about taking off the masks. We've gotta just confess. Be honest with God and honest with ourselves and honest with others. This is what's going on. And pray for one another. Now you can't do this with everybody, but you've got to have at least one safe person in your life that you can open up the curtains with and allow them to see what is really happening inside. At least one safe person. Here's what James would be saying. He said, you've got to get rid of this. You've got to get rid of the masks. If we're going to be the church that God wants us to be, to the world out there and to one another, we've got to learn to get rid of the masks. Friends, I'm gonna ask you to do something. I'm gonna give you a challenge right now. I'm gonna ask you to be very, very brave because here's what was so unsettling for me as I unpacked this text of scripture. There, there were questions that came to my mind about why is it that God did that to Ananias and Sapphira? Those are legitimate questions. Ultimately, God is God. He can do whatever it is that he wants. We don't always know why, but here's the question that was penetrating to me. Why does God not do that to me? Not why did he kill them, but why does he allow me to live? I've got deceit in my life. I've had hypocrisy in my life. I've tried to project to people things that are not true. Why does God still let me take air into my lungs? Why doesn't he kill me? Why is he giving me the opportunity to turn back and repent and be honest that it doesn't look like he gave to Ananias and Sapphira? I don't know the answer to that either, but this is what I've resolved. As long as he's gonna give me the chance to turn to him and repent, I'm going to take it. I'm gonna take every opportunity I have to be honest with God and honest with others about my life. And friends, I wanna invite you to do the exact same thing today. Here's the big reveal. This is what I want you to do with that little card that was given to you. I want you to grab a pen and I'm gonna give you some time and I'm just gonna ask you to allow God's spirit to speak to your heart. Ask yourself, is there anything in my life that I need to bring out into the open with God? Is there hidden things in my life that I just need to be honest with him about? And here's what I want you to do with that. I want you to write that down on a piece of paper. No one else is gonna see this. This is what I want you to do with that piece of paper. I want you to crumple it up just like I did with that mask. This is like a picture of your mask. I want you to crumple it up and I want you to get rid of it. And here's how I want you to get rid of it. I want us, as we come forward today, to take communion. As we stand at the communion table, I want us to take, and I want us to take that mask, and I want us to put it in there, throw it away. I'm getting rid of the mask. In this area of my life, I'm getting rid of it, and I'm gonna continue to get rid of it. And here's why, friends. 
I want us to do that as we take communion because there, friends, is where the power is for us to be honest with our lives. It's reminding ourselves as we take that bread and we dip it into the cup, it is that reminder of the broken body of Jesus and the shed blood of Jesus that makes it possible for us to throw the curtains of our life wide open. God, you know everything, but you've accepted me. Not because what I've done for you, but because what Jesus did for me. A reminder. I'm gonna give you just a couple of minutes to write down on your card. And friends, I'm gonna be writing on my card as well. I'm gonna be right down there with you. Getting rid of my card and taking the hope and the help of Jesus that we experience as we take communion together. I'll give you a few minutes. Jesus, as we come today to celebrate communion as a spiritual family, we just want to thank you for this tangible reminder of what it is that you've done for us. Your willingness to die in our place, to take the penalty for our sins. Thank you that because of what you've done, all is washed away. You see us as pure and holy and righteous. Jesus, we long. We long to be more of that. Jesus, we are going to take these masks. We're going to leave them at the cross. We're going to leave them at your feet. Jesus, thank you that what you did for us gives us the freedom to be honest. Jesus, we love you and we trust you. And it's in your powerful name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net. Thanks.